Thank you, Pastor. It is a blessing to be a part of the service this evening. Thank you for the invitation to come, as I always say, because it's the way I feel. I know that there are many Baptist preachers your pastor could have asked to come. I feel honored and blessed of God to have this privilege. Thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this service. I know that God has already been blessing you this week, was hearing some of his great sermons, some of God's greatest sermons. I certainly am honored to stand in this place tonight for such a wonderful singing. that warmed and stirred my own heart. But thank you so much for allowing me to be in the service this evening. You'll find the scripture tonight in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For you're not coming to mount unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, or unto blackness and darkness and tempest, the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which it, which voice they that heard entreated, that the words should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And as so much as a beast touched the mountain. It shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you're coming to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable company of angels, the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, which speaketh better things than that of Abel. Let's bow our heads again, please, while we pray. Our Father, we bow in your presence, ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me of every sin. Every word, every thought, every act, every action, every attitude, whatever about me that is displeasing in thy sight, I pray that you'll cleanse me of it. Thank you for this day, for the blessings and the mercies of it, the privilege to be in this place of worship tonight in this church. Thank you so much. Thank you for the wonderful songs that have been sung and uh, for the privilege to be a part of this Special meeting tonight. Thank you for this dear pastor, this dear man of God, and I pray that you'll continue to bless all his labors for you. I pray, Lord, should there be those among us that are strangers to your grace, that this will be the hour of salvation. Those of us that are saved, I pray that you'll be pleased to revive us again. Thy people may rejoice in thee. Warm our hearts. Help us to draw nigh to thee. You may draw nigh to us. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege, the high and the holy privilege to be a part of your church, of a local church. Better yet, to be a part of the bride of Christ, bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh, a member of your body. Pray, Lord, now that you'll be pleased to touch thy servant. Give me that special anointing. Illuminate my mind and loose my tongue, and may the gospel go forth not in word only, but in power and demonstration 
of the Holy Ghost with much assurance. All that you're pleased to do for us in this hour, we will praise you. I pray, Lord, that when the service is over, that we will have traveled the divine distance you wanted to take us. We love you because you first loved us and gave yourself for us. In the name that's above every name, the name of our blessed, blood-stained Redeemer, I pray, amen. I want to speak to you as we look at these verses in Hebrews chapter 12. Of course, this is the contrast between law and grace. That is the verses that I've just read in your hearing. I want to speak to you on what have we come to. Now, that's a good question to ask politically, morally, and spiritually. And, of course, the answer to all three are frightening. We do live in perilous times. It's not that perilous times shall come, as the apostle says in Timothy, but they're already here. And as a matter of fact, if these are not perilous times, I don't think I want to be here when they get here. But, of course, this age is going to end in great apostasy, great wickedness, with the rapture of the church, and then after the rapture of the church, the revelation of the man of sin. This earth is cursed by sin. It is earmarked for the judgment. I don't think that any of us have any problem of believing as Psalm chapter 2 tells us, one day the nations of this earth shall gather to fight against the Lord God himself, and that the Lord shall laugh at them and hold them in derision. But as to the question, what are we coming to? What are we coming to? Uh, of course, this world is coming to judgment. And uh, the, our first birth brought death and deterioration. The new birth has brought preservation and glorification. While the world is moving toward damnation, the church is moving toward preservation and glorification. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when it shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now they talk about global warming. They're right, it is coming. One day the heaven and earth shall be dissolved. The elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Even the earth shall be dissolved therein. The Lord is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And so while the world moves toward destruction and toward degradation and toward annihilation, the saints of God move toward something wonderful. You and I that are saved have not come to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion. There is a sharp contrast. We that are saved have come to a sharp contrast than that that the world is a part of, than that the world faces. We have not come to Mount Sinai, for the law was given, a place that was so terrible. And to Moses, the leader, the prophet said, I do exceedingly fear and quake. The Israelites said, let us draw the other side of the valley, lest we be smitten and die. Estimated that nearly two million Israelites, two million Jews, 
parched out of the land of Egypt on Passover night. Here at the foot of Mount Sinai, they were camped. Moses had gone on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And uh, around the mountain of Mount, Mount Sinai, that was the tempest, the wind blowing, blowing through those jagged rocks that made a weird sound. The lightning flashed and the trumpet sounded. The trumpet of the Lord sounded. It was so terrible from Mount Sinai that the Israelites, the people entreated the Lord not to let them hear it again. And lightning flashing around that mountain made it exceedingly uh, gruesome and fearful. Words that were spoken terrified literally the people and they cried to the Lord that he would not speak to them again. Now that is the law in its raw reality. The law is good. The law is holy. But it cannot save. And it was never meant to save. Matthew five seventeen. Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. There's no mercy in the law. So it's a question of law or grace. Now, the law can not make you love me, but it might make you fear being killed and fear the consequences of killing me. But the law does nothing to change the heart. That was not its purpose. That's not its intent. Galatians 3, 1. But the no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. For the just to live by faith. Romans 8, 3 says, For the law could not, what the law could not do, if it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son through the flesh, the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Now those that are trying under the law to gain God's favor, through their human merit, they rightly fear and be afraid. Working and praying will not get you to heaven. It is the result of the fact that we're going to heaven. And God has given us a heart for God. All of our labors could not save us. The law was not meant to save. Galatians 3.24 what the law, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now a short man can stand beside a ten-foot pole, but that pole won't make the little fella a bit taller. And neither does the law help us to, uh, to, to become pure. The law just reveals how short we are. How depraved we are and our inability to save ourselves. And the person who's trying to get to heaven through the law, through their works, may rightly be terrified and be afraid. I dare not, would not even, even want to think about standing before the Lord without anything but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know that to go to heaven, you must be as righteous as Jesus Christ. And there's not a person in this building 
or in this world that could ever attain such righteousness, but is the righteousness of Christ who became sin for us, that we be that we might be made who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. And while as the great uh, Scottish preacher Robert McShane wrote, oh, when I stand before thee, clothed not in garments my own, but in thy righteousness, I'll know, and not until then, how much I owe all that I am, all that I ever shall be, out of the grace of God. Salvation could not be earned. As the preacher said, Salvation, of course, is not deserved. We have not come to Mount Sinai, to the law, but to the grace of God. It is amazing grace and is sweet to the sound, to the ear of every believer. At Mount Sinai, those Israelites saw nothing but blackness and they saw nothing but hopelessness and depravity of their heart. But in the grace of God, we have come to a secure city. We have not come unto Mount Sinai, but unto Mount Zion. Now, if an animal touched Mount Sinai, it died immediately. And if it did not die, they were to thirst that animal through with a dart, kill it immediately. Three old trumpet of war sounded at Mount Sinai. And the words that came from that mountain were so dreadful. The Israelites begged the Lord, begged him and entreated him not to speak those words again. But we that have come to Mount Zion, there is a trumpet sounds, but it is the silver tones of grace. And the words that come from Mount Zion are words not of terror, but wonderful words. Words of life, words that teach me faith and duty, wonderful words that makes us want to sing them over and over again. The law is like an alarm clock. It can wake you up, but it cannot get you up. The grace of God has awakened us and has delivered us of the bondage of sin. And in the grace of God, We have come to Mount Zion in the dispensation of grace. The only city on earth that God has been pleased to put his name on is Jerusalem. And I think that I I know that our president did a very wise thing when he recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and even had the courage to, to recommend and to encourage the the, the Israelite people to make Jerusalem the capital. And I'm certainly grateful to God for that. Jerusalem is the center of the earth, not by accident. God's name is on that city. Now, the most important city in this world is not Rome, it's not New York, or Moscow, or Tokyo. It is Jerusalem. Athens had its Parthenon, Parthenon. Rome had its Colosseum. Alexandria had its great Alex, had its great library. But Jerusalem has Calvary outside its city walls. Jerusalem 
has an empty tomb. For it was outside that city. God's son walked out of the grave on the first day of the week, the third day, and waved in the keys of the devil, the keys of death and life and hell, and declared, I'm he that was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And it was outside Jerusalem, outside this city, that Christ won the eternal victory. It was outside that city. He was delivered for our offenses, and he rose again for our justification. It was outside that city from the Mount of Olives ascended up into heaven and was out of that city outside the walls on Mount Olives. He promised that this same Jesus shall so come again. As you have seen him go, Jerusalem, in the grace of God, we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Now, of course, around Mount Mount Sinai, the message was no entry, no access. For 400 years between the Old and the New Testament, there was nothing but silence, no word from heaven. But then came that glorious word, Emmanuel, God with us. It's a terrible thing. When God does not speak. But it's a wonderful thing when God speaks. In mercy and in grace. And in the grace of God. He does speak. Words of life. And words of salvation. Words of warning of course. In the grace of God. We have come to Jerusalem. To Mount Zion. We have come to a select company. The innumerable company of angels. Not just a handful of angels, but a company of angels. The Bible says that uh, in the grace of God we've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. That we an innumerable company of angels. Psalm 68, 17. The church of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. At Sinai, the Israelites were not privileged to meet with the angels. They were all fenced in at the foot of the mountain. That is the Israelites. But there's a special relationship with saints and angels. Revelation 5, 9. The angels are fellow servants of those who have the testimony of Jesus. Ten Thousand times ten thousand and thousand and thousands. John said he saw. And the Bible says that we have come to innumerable company of angels. The angels are our companions. They saved and turned our footsteps many times, probably hundreds of times, and we're not we're not aware of it. They delivered Simon Peter from prison. They encamped about the mountain. Of the mountains where Elisha was trapped. They attend our worship services. They're intent on learning about what we do. And I'm sure that the angels must be amazed sometimes when the people of God gather at the house of the Lord and we do everything but, but worship. We do everything but really have fellowship and communion with the Lord. What strange things they must hear in our churches 
even our Baptist churches, what strange sights they must see. I think often that I'm beyond shock, but I still get shocked every now and then. The angels are interested in our worship. Sounds glorious, as wonderful as the angels are, as mighty as the angels are. The angels will never become saints of God. And saints will never become angels. If a saint of God dies, there'll not be a brand new angel in the choir unless God makes another one. Saints won't ever become angels. I'm grateful to be a saint of God. It'd be wonderful to be an angel, to have the strength of an angel, the ability of an angel, and the might of an angel. The angels of God, that is these sinless beings in heaven, have never committed one sin. And God created them for the purpose of serving Him, doing His bidding and worshiping Him. And that's a glorious thing. The angels have never known what it's like to be lost, to know, to face the fact one day and then find out that you're a sinner, that you were born with a depraved nature, that you deserve nothing but wrath. They've never known the terrible agony of deep conviction. And on the other hand, they've never known the joy of being lifted from sinking sand, from the miry clay, the plains of light. They've never known the experience of being saved by the grace of God as glorious as it would be to be an angel. I'd rather be a saint of God who was once a sinner but has now been washed by blood and is a child of God. The angels, as glorious, as wonderful as they are, have never been able to say or to testify of or to sing what I sing of. They've never been able to say or sing, Saved! Saved! Saved by the blood of the crucified one. His child and forever I am. As glorious as it would be to be an angel, I'd rather be a sinner saved by grace and know the thrill and the wonderful result and love of His redeeming grace. And in the grace of God, we've come to a numerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. I'm grateful to be a part of this church. And in being a part of this church, I'm a part of the local church. And it's been that way since God saved me. I've had a heart for the church of God, for the people of God. I like being a member of a church. I'm a member of a church, not a worship center, not a cowboy club. I'm a member of a church, and I'm a part of the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. Some of the greatest hours, the greatest moments I've ever spent in this life have been at the house of God with the people of God. Now, all the church has never been together. Part of the church has been on this world, in the world, this world, the rest in heaven. And even the church presently scattered across the ends of this earth, all across this terrestrial globe. But one day all the church shall come together 
And I can't imagine what it must be when the entire church is hauled. All the battles are won. And we're safe, safe at home with God. A member of the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And in the grace of God, we have come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. And we have come to the spirits of justified men made perfect. I don't understand all that that means, but I do know that in the grace of God that I have received a new nature and the Spirit of God now abides within and that my name is written in the book of life. Now, of course, the church will never die. These people get on the TV and talk about the church. It's all coming together. The body. Everybody believes anything or everything. We're all coming together. Truth is, the church has never been apart in the first place. Not the real church. Not the Lord's church. Everybody in the household of faith believes this book. That's how we got saved. Faith comes over hearing and hearing by the word. And there's no question marks that we place beside the word of God. And in the grace of God, we've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And I do believe that people saved by grace. And those that have the justified spirit of a born-again person have a desire to worship God and to serve God. And that, that is our, that's our joy, that's our privilege to serve God. In the grace of God, we are part of the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. Save people. Those that are members of the general assembly of the church of the firstborn love to congregate. That's one of the joys of our life. It's the fellowship with the people of God. Of course, as someone has said to be with the saints above, that will be glory. But to dwell with the saints below, well, that's another story. We all have different battles and problems. But one day when he gets through with us, He's going to iron out all the wrinkles and he's going to present it to himself, a glorious church. No one can present this church to the Lord but himself. No one's qualified but the Lord himself is going to present it to himself, his own church that he purchased, he paid for, he bought with his own blood and everyone that is saved will safely arrive in Emmanuel land and it does not yet appear what we shall be but we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. We have come to Jesus and to God the judge of all and of course the judge of all is our heavenly father now. There was a time when we were under the judgment and the wrath of God. But in the grace of God, we've come through Jesus Christ to the Father. And now we have access to God. The unsaved will stand before him to be sentenced. But we that have come to Jesus Christ have no fear because we're clothed in his righteousness, the righteousness of his own darling son. And the only way that God can ever be pleased with us 
is the fact that Christ dwells in us, in you. Christ dwells. Colossians says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We read of our Lord that when he was transfigured before the disciples, God spoke out, spoke out of heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And when he was baptized, it joined the Holy Ghost in the form of a dove, rested on his head, and God spoke out of heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the only way that we can ever be well pleased in the Father is the fact that Christ lives in our heart. All that we are, we owe to Jesus Christ. All that we have in the grace of God, we owe to Jesus Christ. We're acceptable in God's sight. We're righteous in God's sight because of Jesus Christ who has made us bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh and a member of his body. And all that we are, we owe to Jesus Christ. We've come to the spirits of justified men made perfect. And we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. If a person is saved, it means that they have come to Jesus. I rejoice for Abel's blood. But Abel's blood cried for revenge. But the blood of Jesus cries for redemption. He died to save us from our sins. My lamb is pure. My lamb is more noble. My lamb is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And all that we are, we owe to Jesus Christ. And we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. We have not come to a Baptist preacher or to a Roman priest. We have come to Jesus. We have not come to Buddha. We have not come to Mohammed. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And all that we are and never shall be, we owe to Jesus Christ. Thank God for the privilege to come to Mount Zion.